Good morning. So good to see you. My name's Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that each of you are here today. Our scripture this morning is from 1 John chapter 4, and I'll actually just be walking through verse by verse uh, a particular uh, section uh, beginning with verse 16. At the end of this, I'll say, this is the word of God for the people of God, and invite you to say with me, thanks be to God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last night, I had my 20-year reunion for high school, which means, Betsy says, I'm old, which means I'm 38 years old. And I have decided that I cannot play church. I don't know how much time I have left. I saw all those guys. We looked a lot different. <laughs> like this one, this one hurt. I'm not going to play church. It's too important. It's too desperate. What we're up to is too urgent. Okay? I didn't know that at 38, God would be pulling me deeper again. Like, I feel like I'm almost about to make another breakthrough. And I thought I'd had a lot of good breakthroughs already. And right when God's pulling you into something, right before you're about to break through something, like breaking through something doesn't feel all that good. We have a family this morning whole family that's being baptized. A guy who came here, he said, I was an atheist. And during one of those songs, he was sitting right back there and he said, and I just began to weep. He came up to me after the service. He's like, what's going on with me? And I said, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of you. And the only way I knew how to say that is because 20 years ago, I went to a pastor and I said, I don't know what's going on inside of me. And he said, the Holy Spirit is working inside of you. I grew up in the Methodist church. I said, what's the Holy Spirit? (laughs) That was for real my answer. And he said, just keep coming. You know, just keep coming. Just keep becoming. Just keep, stay in this. You may, 
you may be here this morning and, and, and you're like, this is, I'm at a, this is not feeling as good as I thought it would feel to be close to God. That may be because you're about to break through a wall, <laughs> right? Several years ago, uh, my wife Rachel was out of town and y'all have heard this story before. I only have like, a, figured out, I have 11 stories, so they just kind of, <laughs> all right, Pete, so. But there are these moments when I feel like God showed me something and Several years ago, Rachel was out of town, and I was having to get my two little girls. Uh, I, have, I don't remember where the third one was. I'd get two little girls ready for a wedding. She'd left me specific instructions on how to get them ready for this wedding, the clothes and the hair and all that. And it was really difficult. And I got one of them ready, and I told her, I said, just for the next five minutes, don't do anything. Don't move. Don't bleed. Don't eat anything. She was seven years old. And I went to the other one. I started getting her ready. And before that five minutes was up, Mary came to me and she was covered in mud. And I was like, how did you find mud? And in that moment, I spoke to my daughter in a way that we don't speak in our house. Like, I spoke sharply and rashly and bitterly. And in a tired way, and I felt justified in it. I felt right, and we went to the wedding. The next morning was Sunday morning. I was getting ready for church, and I was praying because I want to try to be ready. And every time I turned my heart towards God in prayer, all I could think about was Mary. And I would try to turn my heart towards God because I wanted to be ready to preach the word to you guys. And every time I turned my heart towards God, all I could think about was Mary. And so finally I said, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I messed up. I see it. I get it. But I need to be close to you because I cannot get up there and play a game. So I got it. The message has been received. I messed up, but help me. But every time I turned my heart towards God, all I could think about was Mary. And I came to church and I sat on the front row and we were worshiping and I would, I would, I would lift my hands to worship and when I would go to worship, all I could think about is how I yelled at my daughter in a way that was unkind. And I was like, okay, God, I get it, but literally I'm about to walk up there. Can you just push that out of the way? And I have these little prayers I pray down here on the front row to try and get me ready. And every prayer that I tried to muster just came out, Mary. I had to preach. It was one of those bad ones that you guys had to endure, right? Uh, Today, we're going to talk about how you can become love in your home with the people that you're closest to. I'm not going to ask you to go across the ocean today. Maybe next week. I want to think about how you can become love to those people who are right there, whoever that is for you. And so in this moment, I'm just going to take a moment of quiet. I just want you to think about, because you may have that, you may have that in your heart right now, right? I've come to worship, but all I got is Mary or whoever. So I just want you to hold that name, okay? So we can worship together. So we can do this. So we can connect with God. We're not going to push it aside. We're going to lift it up, Okay. Because God never disconnects this relationship and all these relationships. Whenever we want to try to uh, separate them out and say, I just want to do this right now, God says, it's not going to work. So let's, let's not pretend, okay? So just kind of lift that name up in your heart, that relationship, that thing. 
you carried in here that you, you may have been carrying it for 20 years, right? And listen to the scripture. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. I don't think there's any word out of place this morning in the scripture, okay? So that, those first two words, it says, and so. When you see and so, it's, it's referring back, to, like something else has just been said, and so we're going to do this, right? Okay, so what comes right before this? I didn't read it, but I want us to see it. It's verse 15. It says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. I'm going to say that again because it's, it's really good. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So if you're here this morning, you have not acknowledged Jesus as a son of God, we are so glad you're here. You're welcome here. This is your place. You can come as long as you want. You can keep coming back. You can keep coming back. Okay. But if you are here and you have acknowledged Jesus as the son of God, this is not a game. This is the eternal realities of Christ in you. If you acknowledge that, God's in you. And you are in God. That's crazy, right? And so, and so, God lives in you. And so, you live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. It's in us. What that sounds like to me is, is becoming. I'm knowing. I'm relying. I'm knowing. I'm relying, right? And then John. John, who was known as the, the disciple that Jesus loved. So he talks about love a ton. John was known as the one Jesus loved. And it's because that's the name he gave himself, right? It's not because he was the only one that Jesus loved. I just think if you encounter Jesus, you walk around saying, I'm the one Jesus loves. And so John says, God is love. God is actually love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. He just said that. But sometimes preachers have to repeat things. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. I want you to see this. Like, I'm wondering who all would take that deal this morning if it was given to you. If you could know this morning how love could be made complete in you. And do I have a deal for you? and how to have confidence on the day of judgment. Would anybody take that deal? Like, I would love to know how love could be complete in me because it feels incomplete. I yell at my kids. I'm a mess. I've been doing this 20 years, and I still got a lot of walls to break through. I do not think love has been yet made complete in me. I'll take that, and if you're throwing it in as well, God, I'll take, I'll take confidence on the day of judgment. So does anybody want to know how to do that? Well, John says, this is how it happens. He says, in this world, we're like Jesus. You want to know how, to, how love to be complete in you and how to stand confident on the day of judgment? In this world, we are like Jesus. Which if you're like me, this is, might be where you're like, okay, I'm going to check out because there ain't no way I'm going to be able to do that, right? Some of you are like, do you get, can you get seconds on donuts? Can you get seconds on donuts, Steffi? Yeah, so some of you I know, like, there's, there's so many dudes that walk out, uh, like, after church, and they got, like, a donut on every finger, and they're just, like, waving it at me, you know? Like, so you can get seconds. This is that moment, this is one of those moments, like, can I walk out and take a break? Because if you're telling me what this is all about is I'm going to have to be like Jesus in this world, I am not going to be able to do that, because when I try to get my kids dressed for something, I can be, like, five minutes into that, and I'm acting like someone who's never met Christ. So, Check, please, right? 
But it's right here that John says, um, there's no fear in love. It's as if he can hear our hearts saying, I can't do that. There's no, I'm not, okay, it's as if it's, you know, John's like, he's saying that he knows our hearts that when we get to this point, we say, I thought it was going to be something that I would be incapable of doing. (laughs) And and yet he says, no, 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 no fear in love. So he's, he's, he's trying to push us away from those, those worries that we may have in this point. Now, last week, some of you were here, some of you weren't. Uh, Mark set up this series, and he did what I, would, I call uh, Mark Youngman Biblical Math. He, he created an equation for us. You know, it's an algebraic equation based on the Scripture. So I want to give it to you again. This was Mark's uh, word for us. He said, God is love. Remember this? So God is love, and Jesus is God with us. And so if that's true, if God is love and Jesus is God with us, then that means Jesus is love with us. I've got one even more complicated, Mark. If God is love, okay, and there's um, no fear in love, okay, God's love, and there's no fear in love, then that would have to mean there's no fear in God. Now, I'm not saying you don't fear God. You're not in awe of God. That's what I'm talking about. But it, but it means we're not, we're not walking in fear in God. We're, God's in us, and we're in God, right? There's no fear in God. So we keep taking that out. If God lives in you, no fear in you. Said the afraid guy. What I'm saying is like, I don't want to I don't want to play a game. Like I want to get it. I want to get it. I want to get it in me. So here's the scripture. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And some of you are here this morning and your whole concept of God has been about fear and punishment. Fear and punishment. God, fear and punishment. Well, that ain't it. Perfect love drives out fear. And there's no fear in love and God is love. So God's not setting up an equation for you that's about fear and punishment. We're told that what Jesus brings us is is gospel, which means good news, okay? Fear and punishment doesn't sound like good news. And so we can stand with confidence on the day of judgment, not because we get it down, but because we've acknowledged Jesus is the son of God and God lives inside of us. And he's pushing out the fear, So you're going to stand on the day of judgment and you're not going to get out a tally sheet and and put it up next to God's standard for righteousness. You're going to stand in Christ, in you, around you, as the righteousness that allows you to stand in that place. So we got to keep going. Okay. We love because he first loves us. And so whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Wait a second, what's happening here? I thought we were talking about us and God. Nope. With God, it's always about us and God and other people. So for whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And that's why if I can't love my daughter 
who I can see? How am I going to love God who I can't see? Are those people that are closest to you, those people that you brought up in your heart, if you can't love them and you can see them, you can touch them, how are you going to be able to love God whom you have not seen? So this series is all about us kind of walking with Jesus, um, pursuing Jesus' heart so that we can understand what it means to become love, so that we can be love in our families or be, be love in our homes, you know, be love uh, in the office. And, and so I want to lift up some things that are going to seem really simple that Jesus shows us about how we can be, uh, be in relationship with people But I want you to understand that I think that they're actually very deep spiritual truths that if we grasp them, we might be able to uh, be like Jesus in the world, okay? So the first one is this. And I'm talking about sort of people that were closest to Jesus, his disciples or whoever. Jesus loved them relentlessly. So in the word uh, relentless is this idea of a a pursuit, you know, this reckless love of God. This uh, Jesus was, was... was relentless in his love, and, and so he, he pursued. He, he told stories about one sheep that a shepherd went after, or one coin that a lady stayed up all night to find, or, or one son who a father ran after even after he'd been betrayed, betrayed. So there's this love that's relentless. And so we, oftentimes in relationship, especially even with the people that are closest to us, we sit back and we're like, I am going to wait for them to pursue me, right? Because of all the stuff that's happened all the things that have gone on, like, they're going to have to come after me. I've had enough. But the people that follow Jesus, the people that have God in them, and we are in God, we are actually the people who are supposed to pursue. We're the pursuers, and so we go after folks. And so some of you husbands, you haven't pursued your wife since you put the ring on her finger. And you're walking around, you come to meet with me, and you're like, my marriage stinks. It's like, yeah, you're not, there's no pursuit. Pursuit doesn't end. It's not, a, it's not a gain, like I got this now, right? And so in that place, you know, if we're thinking about that marriage place, you're like, you know, you haven't pursued in years and years and years. And you're like, well, I can't do that. And then I'm like, well, you need to go pursue. You, you would say to me, right? You say, I can't do that. I'm, I'm like numb now, right? Because it takes a lot to pursue, right? And you're like, I talk to people all the time. I've Felt, you know, I feel these feelings. You're like, I'm, I'm numb. I got nothing. I can't even imagine taking a step forward in pursuit. What I would say to you is, well, if you've acknowledged Jesus as son of God, God lives in you. So you call upon that, that love, that fire, that passion that's inside of you. If this isn't a game, if this is for real and God lives in you, you don't have to be like, I'm numb. You're like, I'm going to call upon the spirit that lives inside of me to do something that I can't do. And then you go for it. Right? Or you might say, you're like, if we're doing this marriage example, you're like, I can't do that. I'm, a, I'm afraid. We haven't had that kind of conversation, that kind of pursuit in a long time. I'm afraid of what that would look like. I'm afraid of where that would take me. And what I would say to you is, well, there's no fear in love. And so perfect love drives out fear. And so you don't have to be afraid in, in a relationship with someone. You don't have to be afraid of, of where it's going to go or even what their response will be. 
because you're acting out of your connection to God, not about some expected response that you'll get. I guarantee you, people will let you down time after time after time after time. You know how big of a mess you are? They're that big of a mess too. But that doesn't excuse you from being a pursuer in relationship. Why? Because God lives in you. So call upon it. Call it out. Speak to God that's in you. And and this says that you're in God. And so it's not a separated thing. It's not, oh my goodness, God, I've messed up this relationship. Now I gotta go over and talk to you. It's like, no, you're walking together. You're becoming love the whole time. You're becoming something different. You're changing. And so I would, I would, you're like, well, how am I gonna do that? I'm just saying, just risk it. You're a Jesus person. Pursue it. Go after it. Ask God to give you a, a spark of fire so you won't be numb in that relationship anymore. Jesus also forgave extravagantly. Over and over and over and over and over again, Jesus forgave. It's like one of his things. And, and what's weird to me is it seems like some of us, I, I, I had my 20-year reunion last night, so I've, I've got some years under my belt here. You're not talking to a rookie this morning. And it seems like the, the longer we get down the pathway sometimes, the longer we hold on to grudges. I think about a kid and the kid's like, ah, no, no worries, I'll move on. I think about it, I was like 20 years ago, I'm like just high-fiving my buddy or something, and I'm there last night, I'm like, I'm, I'm still kind of mad at that guy, you know? <laughs> I hadn't seen him in 20 years, but looks like as big a jerk as he was back in high school, you know? <laughs> I'm like, why is my heart, I don't want my heart to get crusty and old. My body's getting old. But I don't want my heart to get old. You know why? Because God lives in me. The Holy Spirit's in my heart. There's no age in there. It's just like this beautiful work that God would do. And so why is it those of us who've hit the 20-year reunion or, or another one past that, why is it that we seem to now hold on to things longer than we did before? Is this just a game we're playing Or is God really living in us? What if we called upon that? So you know that Sunday that I told you about with Mary where I'm preaching and all I can think about is hers when we met in West Wilson Middle School. We had all this time. We had to take down stuff. And I went to Dan. I said, I got to go home. I'm not loading up chairs today. And I went home. This was the worst Sunday morning I ever had. And the band was great and Y'all were there and all that. It was all the same, but my heart wasn't the same. So it's one of my 11 stories because I went home and I scooped her up. She was big and I sat her in my bed and I said, Mary, do you remember yesterday when I spoke to you after you fell in the mud? And she said, oh yeah, I remember. (laughs) And I said, I'm sorry because we said we were gonna have a house filled with kindness. That's what we say at our house, like the number one rule in our house, the number one value is kindness. And, I, and dad wasn't kind, so that's a, that's a break. That's not, that's not right, it's not good. And I went into this speech that I'd been preparing all morning to Mary, right? And I was gonna lay it all out for her theologically. You know? And she put her hand over my mouth. She stopped me. And here's what she said. She said, oh, daddy, it's okay. 
she already forgave me. Because that little nugget was already becoming love. She's like, we ain't holding on to this any longer. Because we got some stuff to do. <laughs> and so if you want to, like, you know, become, uh, I think I talked to parents, it's like, you know, we're worried about sports and grades and behavior, and if our child's going to become a productive citizen, and all, you know, all this stuff, I get it, man, that's what I'm worried about too, but we go after all these other methods for raising them up, and the deal is, I got some years under my belt, I got some things to teach you guys, okay, the deal is, the best thing you can do for your kids is have God inside of you, and call upon it over and over and over again, the best thing you can do is forgive your spouse like Christ forgives you over and over and over. This isn't, uh, this isn't a difficult uh, equation. It's about a spiritual understanding that once we acknowledge Christ, there is a power unleashed in us. The Holy Spirit seals us and we can call upon that spirit in our normal lives as fathers and mothers and grandparents and, and coworkers and, and all those people that we come in contact with. One more. Jesus ate with his disciples regularly. That seems a lot different, right? You might think that seems less significant than, than loving relentlessly and forgiving extravagantly. But I, uh, I saved it for last for a reason. Because I think one of the things we're missing right now is something that Jesus got real good. And it's just about putting in the kind of relational time that's necessary for people to experience the love of God in us. And so we want to come to church and we want to do the Bible study, but everything else, we push everything so far away that we have no time to actually interact and be with the people that we love the most. Most of us are not investing hardly any eating time with the people we love. And I mean like having food on the table and stuff like it, like coffee. That's pretty much it. Food and coffee is what I'm talking about, okay? And so if you're like, yeah, my kids are everything to me. Are you kidding? We've been married 37 years. This is my marriage. My adult parents, I see so many of you caring for your adult parents, you know. But, but what you're, you're just doing the work. You're not investing in the love. Or at least I'm not. I mean, I'm standing before you, I'm like, when did I, when did I have dinner with my kids this week? I'll have to work that out, right, in my mind. So I don't, I know I've been being silly this morning. Like, I do not have this figured out. Okay? I just don't, I don't play a game anymore. I wept last night. I said, God, if I'm going to preach this sermon, you're going to have to do this in me. I'm 20 years in. But I'm becoming. I believe it becoming so John tells us a story about after Jesus was resurrected he starts showing up to the disciples and eating food with them and so there's this one instance where he goes after Peter who's, who's messed everything up Peter's out fishing and Jesus shows up on the beach some of you know this story and Peter jumps in the water so Peter uh, becomes a pursuer of Jesus Jesus pursued him first. That's how it works. God, we love because God loves us. But when Peter saw Jesus, 
like that story of the prodigal son. He jumped in the water and he goes. When he gets to the beach, Jesus has already cooked breakfast. The son of God, the resurrected Christ who just went to hell and kicked the devil's butt, busted through a cave door, has come to a beach and put fish over a fire. So you tell me that eating's not important. And he comes to Peter, and this is what he says to Peter. He says, do you love me? Peter says, oh yes, I love you. Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? He says, oh yes, Lord, I love you. He asks him three times, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. And what I love about that is in that story, we see that you can be a complete mess and still profess your love for Jesus, right? You do not have to get this all straightened out before you start telling Jesus. In fact, this week, maybe not my best week, but if I had met Jesus and he said, do you love me? I would say, oh yes, I love you, Jesus. I love you. I don't, you don't have to have it nailed down, right? To say, I love you. And Peter uh, becomes love. And Jesus gives us that invitation that we've talked about before. I love you. I forgive you. And now let's eat. You want to know how to become love in your family? I think that's it. Get that language inside of you. I love you. I forgive you. Let's eat together. Let's look at each other. Let's talk. Let's argue over, uh, over coffee. What, but, but let's not just push our lives so full of stuff that we're saying our relationships are the most important thing to us, but we're not investing any love or any forgiveness or any time together. So here's the, here's the uh, thing to do this week. Eat with, eat with the people you love. Right? See what happens. Because Jesus did it over and over and over again. We're going to come and eat together at this table. Because Jesus took bread with his disciples and said, this is my body, take it and eat it. And he took the cup of wine, he said, this is my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And put in motion this thing that Christians have done for 2,000 years, and that's eat together with Jesus, God in us, us in God. Let's pray. God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here in these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Amen.